Today on Pilgrim Radio's His People, Adam Ramsey, helping us embrace the time and place we're in and live faithfully present with God and others. Don't be disheartened that it's not another time or the, the high point time or it's just an ordinary time. God is in all of it and we just need to be aware of that. Adam Ramsey next. do we live faithfully when life keeps changing, when life moves slowly or quickly, or when life comes to an end? These are just some of the questions Australian pastor Adam Ramsey attempts to answer in his new book, Faithfully Present. He says by learning to live where we are, the life given to us, not planned by us, we find freedom. Here's Kimberly Birchall. Adam, what was it that was the impetus for this particular book? What made you want to write about this topic? So originally, I wanted to write something that explored time and place. And looking at these two massive concepts, just mega, mega concepts, and wanting to do just a biblical reflection on time and place, these two realities that often haunt us. Because uh, they remind us of how human we are, how creaturely and not God we actually are. And as the book began to unfold and I was exploring these these two things, more and more, I, I, I kept coming back to this concept of faithful presence really is what is what God calls us to in every when of our life and in every where of our life. And it's when we miss that. And it's when we feel like we need to be some other time than when we're not, or some other season than when we're not, or some other place than where we are, that our discontentment, our our grumbling grows, our, our sense of frustration with life. And so for us, it was born out of one, just originally wanting to explore these ideas, but then two, really living this out in, in renewed ways ourselves. Uh, so my wife got, uh, just quick personal note, uh, got incredibly sick from one I'm of sorry. the uh, COVID vaccines. Mm. And she had a massive vaccine injury. It's been two years now, just chronic illness. There's no real kind of end inside of that barring a miracle. And so we've been learning to live in that space where her heart just hasn't been working properly. Uh, and our lives have had to change pretty dramatically of what does it look like in Wendell Berry's words to live the given life? not the planned, to be faithfully present and attentive to God and others and the priorities we have where we are and when we are, not where we wish we were or when we wish we were. And so that's kind of where the books come from is those two angles. Is that how you would describe being faithfully present then through that quote or put that into your own words for me? I came back to that Wendell Berry quote over and over and over again. And it's something, I mean, Barry is amazing. Uh, I love his books. I love his poetry. And it's just a line from one of his poems, actually. We live the given life and not the planned. And it struck me uh, with so much weight as I read that. And it's been a almost somewhat of a, a motto or a mantra that we've been saying around our house these last few years is, hey, we live the given life, not the planned. We, we pray, yeah, amen. Let's pray big prayers. 
Let's go to God. Let's let's believe that he absolutely can intervene at the circumstantial level of our lives. And at the same time, let's learn to trust him uh, as we're walking through whatever it is that we're walking through. So I love that quote, Kim, because it's it's a reminder of we all have an idea in our heads of how life should go. But then real life happens. And real life, Jesus promised us uh, in John 16, 33, in this world, you will have tribulations, but take heart because I've overcome the world. It seems like we need to get a grasp on the sovereignty of God in order to live that out. When we remember that God actually is sovereign over every season of our lives, over every square inch of the universe, then that actually liberates us to be attentive to what he is doing. God is not a cosmic genie. We're not trying to get him to bend to our wishes. He is the God of glory. He is He is on the throne. The throne is occupied. It is the center of the universe. And God is on it. And he knows what he's doing. And what happens is when we're suffering and when we're going through something we don't like particularly, or even just dial it down, even if it's not some so much a, a time of suffering, but just a time of, man, I just wish I was... You know, it's like little kids. They want to be grownups. It's like, oh, I just wish I was grown up and I could do more things. And and then grownups wish they could be little kids. It's like, oh, I, I wish I could go back to my childhood. And and we just don't want to be where, where we are within the seasons of life. But remembering God is in those seasons and he's in every single one of them. And, and we forget that just too easily. And coming back to a right view of his sovereignty, that he holds time in his hands. Uh, that time belongs to him, that the seasons belong to him. That, Like the psalmist said in Psalm 31, I think it is, my times are in your hands. That's the place of freedom, of living gratefully and contentedly. Mm-hmm. How should Christians view limitations on time and place differently than those in the world view it? Well, I think it comes back to that that sovereignty of God. So we don't see time as random. Um, or just pure chance that's happening in our lives. Uh, and there's so much, you know, conversation at the uh, the cosmic level of okay, how does time even work? And and how does you know general relativity and 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 space and time and matter and energy interact? And is time flowing backwards from a a, a fluid future into a, a concrete past, or are we moving through time like we're moving through a river? And there's all this conversation around that. And, and I explore that a little bit in the first couple of chapters. But the way that Christians are to view time is the sequence of time belongs to God. History is his story. And that gives us hope. But then also the high moments of time, the Kairos time. So there's Kronos time, which is clock time. Uh, That's the ticking of the sequence through history. But then there's Kairos time, which is the right time, the appropriate time. It's ripeness, the, the beautiful moments within time that we sense this is timely. Those are gods too. And so uh, the ancient Greeks saw Kronos as, you know, kind of the old guy with a, 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 a scythe and he was very, very demanding. Uh, he took no prisoners. I mean, it was just like everyone is going to die and Kronos will keep ticking away doing what he does. And then they saw Kairos as kind of this cheeky, mischievous guy with a, with a, a mullet on kind of like the front of his head and he was quick on his feet. And so you couldn't catch him. The moment he got past you, uh, there was nothing to grab onto. You had to grab him by the front of the head 
for those ripe moments of time within life. And there's something interesting in that for us to go, yes, we we feel that once uh, a timely moment has gone past, it's gone. That now belongs to memory or missed opportunity. But there's also a sense where we interact with those high points in life and we receive them as gifts from God. And we're not just randomly chasing after ripeness and fullness of time. We know that God at his appointed time is going to fill our lives with the fullness of who he is in different ways. And so I think we we come at it differently to the non-Christian in that we have worshipful gratitude during those moments of time where we sense the fullness of God. And the books are somewhat of a reminder there. of Look at what God has for you when we simply open our eyes and are present and attentive when and where we are. What would you say to the Christian who feels they're not doing enough with the time that they have? I think we can all, the book's not a book about time management principles. We talk about it a little bit. And absolutely, there's a real sense where our own human laziness can make us feel like we're wasting a, a, a time or a season in life. So I think there's a, there's a sense there where every Christian is like, yeah, I, I want to use my time better. I want to steward my time more to the glory of God. But I would also want Christians who are feeling that, that tension to remember that the time of normal life, the in-betweens of the mountaintop moments. The, the, there's a whole chapter in the book on lulls, a lull, like the, the gap between a set of waves. I live by the beach. And so sometimes there'll be some waves coming in the surface. Everyone's catching these waves and then everything stops. Everyone's just sitting on their board and nothing is happening. But something is happening. And it's in those, those lulls even of life, the white space between the words and the paragraphs of our lives, God is at work in that. And he's preparing us and he's teaching us and he's sanctifying us and he's even producing patience in us. And, and I think the most important quality of all, Kimberly, he is, he is building trust in us in those seasons of life when time feels like it's moving slowly. So by all means, be a good steward of the gifts and the time and the season God has you in. Whatever that season is, fill it to the glory of God and, and fill your plate with meaningful ministry and service and, and relationship and neighbor love and all of these things to the glory of God. And don't be disheartened that it's not another time or the, the high point time or it's just an ordinary time. God is in all of it. And we just need to be aware of that. Sometimes it feels like we kick against the goads, so to speak, probably especially in the lulls or in times of suffering. How do we find his faithful presence and what should it look like for us when we're in suffering or difficult circumstances? I think it's coming back to that sense of, do I actually trust? And it's a trust thing. But do I actually trust that the God of all time is in this time that I don't like? Uh, do I believe that he is here in this season that I'm finding difficult or annoying? And if he is here, why do I feel a sense of his absence? And it comes back to a question then for me is, where am I looking? Where, where is my focus? Am I, 
Am I trying to grab a hold of what belongs to God alone, which is timelessness and omnipresence and be wherever I want to be at any point in any time? Or is this an opportunity here? Even as I pray, and, and by, I don't want to ever discourage anyone from praying for God to intervene in circumstances that we don't like. That is, that is amen. That is biblical. Let's do that. And as we do that, Let's cultivate a, a posture of humility, which says God is not a genie. He is present because he promised he would be. Jesus said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Uh, to the end of age, I will be with you when he gave us the Great Commission. And when we learn that, we, we're learning to actually embrace the thing that, that we want to get rid of that Jesus so willingly took upon himself, which is humanity. We're learning to embrace humanity. Jesus took humanity on himself, the God of glory, the timeless and eternal one. He clothed himself in humanity. And when we see that Jesus doesn't push away humanity, but enters into it, for us then there's a sense, okay, I can follow Jesus down that pathway of embracing my humanity and, and, and learning to wait with hope and to suffer well, and to pray with anticipation, and and really to to trust, and and to to cultivate trust uh, of the God who's with me in every season of life. Mm. There's something that you said just a minute ago that I'm wondering: How did you come to the place of asking yourself the questions? Am I trying to be godlike here, and only? Yeah. Share with me how you came to ask yourself that question. What brought it to your attention? And how can we be more aware ourselves and say, maybe I'm a little off track here? Well, I just know my own heart. <laughs> and my own heart is wanting to be in charge and be in control and do what I want to do. And when I'm in a season of life or in a place where I feel stuck, or, or even just feel trapped, perhaps might be a better word, then I need to ask myself, where am I not trusting God that he's in this and I don't necessarily need to get out of it? Uh, or if I do, at his timing, and he, and he will be faithful in that. So for me, it was, it was coming back to this sense of, and, and this, is, this is why, this is why time haunts us because we realize when we when we really get honest with ourselves and when we really look at how fast our life is going by and we get to seasons of life where we look back and there's there's gray hairs in the in the hair and in the beard and and, and we we have a sense of 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 my goodness like it's gone so quickly i'm so not in charge of this thing i'm so creaturely that's where midlife crises come from. That's where a sense of despair and existentialism can come from in a godless universe. That is depressing. But we don't live in a godless universe. We inhabit a time where God himself is. And so I wanted to, with this book, tease out those limitations of time and place that do haunt us, but actually they're not, they're not meant to. Time and place are God's gifts to us, that they locate us, they humanize us, they draw out the fullness of our humanity. And, and when, we, when we come to that place of confession of, I am not God, 
my days are numbered before there were yet any, that seasons come and go and change in my life. Like, like Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 3, there is a time for everything. Then I don't have to feel like life's rushing past me. I can inhabit the time and space that I'm in, the here and now of the present, and seek to simply be faithful here and glorify God where I am, not where I think I should be. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the that's the secret of contentment of uh, uh, you know Philippians four, Paul's superpower. Uh, he said, "I've learned to be content in what." Ever circumstance I find myself, I know how to make do with little and I know how to make do with a lot because in all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. And that's that's the secret of uh, the book. That's the, the hope of the book. Uh, and that's where I'm learning day by day myself to inhabit that space. Well, what is a godly way to consider and think about our own eventual death? Yeah. It's coming. It's coming, and uh, and we all like to pretend that death exists out there for other people, but not for me, until it hits home for us in a way that someone that we love dies, and then there's a sense of, you know, we, we often we're shocked and we're surprised, and we feel this this intruder has come into our existence, and I think it's right for us to feel that way. We're meant to hate death. We're meant to Jesus hated death. And even at the graveside of Lazarus, who he knew he was about to raise from the grave, he wept. And there's this fierce, holy hatred of death that we see in Jesus and that we see particularly coming out in the resurrection as Jesus himself conquered death. So I think I think for us as Christians, we should see death as a reminder that our time, our life is short. Life really is a mist. A mist. And you know, I think I use this analogy in the book. The, the average life expectancy, depending on where you are in the world, is it's in the high 70s. It's a little higher for women, a little lower for men. Uh, high 70s, some countries low 80s. So just for a round number's sake, let's say 80 years. Uh, not everyone's going to make it to 80, but if God gives you 80 years in that in this world, that's 4,200 weeks. For me, I like to break it down and think there is really at, at, at most 4,200 Sundays that I'm going to gather with my brothers and sisters in Christ as kind of a, a, a marker that highlights each week. Mm-hmm. And and if I'm getting closer to 80, then that, somewhere, that number of Sundays left is somewhere in the hundreds or in the low thousands because there's only 4,200 of them. I mean, how easy. Would it be to spend $4,200 uh, if someone gives you $4,200? We can make that happen straight away. Uh, and time works in a similar way. So the way that we we can look at death without feeling a sense of despair over death is remembering that death doesn't get the final word. It's coming, but it doesn't get the final word. The final word is the is Christ's word. And that means for us, our definite future is resurrection because we share in the in the death of Christ and we share in the life of Christ. And so Amen. when I remember that, that yes, I too will face death, I can face it in the way that the Puritans said it as the funeral of all of my sorrows. That's mm. all that death is now in Christ. Uh, or to change the metaphor, I love the metaphor of thinking that death 
death now in Christ is little more than a butler. It's no longer a monster. It is a butler who opens the door for me into the resurrection life that Jesus purchased for me with his own blood and through his own resurrection. And when I remember that, I think that, Kimberly, is the way that we and that Christians throughout history die well. Uh, we remember that our, our days are numbered, but our lives are eternal, mm-hmm. and Jesus is worthy of them all. So then, in light of all of that, how can we rightly view our happiest times and our memories? I think we view them as limited edition gifts. We see each of those, the, the happiest times of life, as a small batch, limited edition gift from God that we didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. Nothing was merited uh, in us to get it, but God in his goodness allowed us to receive it and to experience that. And, and, and here's what we do when we realize something is a limited edition gift. We don't feel like, I mean, if we can re-experience it again, great, amazing. But the beauty of, of some of those high points that now get located into just the memory of our minds is we now have that gift there as a memory to give thanks for. Mm. And we're not trying to grasp after it again. We're not trying to recreate our youth. Uh, we're not trying to, to relive seasons that aren't the present season. We receive them as good gifts from God with the not just the hope, but the confident anticipation that what's coming our way in the new creation is going to be even better. So we don't lament the, the loss of these gifts. We know that they're just the teaser. They're just the, the hors d'oeuvres, the, the, the entree that to the main course of the feast coming our way. And I tried to write the book where everything, all the limitations we feel of time and place, I tried to write the book with a sense of there is coming a day and keep coming back to this. There is coming a day where time will be unlimited and place will be uncursed and God will glorify our bodies with resurrection power just so that we'll be able to sustain the amount of joy and the intensity of happiness we will have in Christ, in the new heavens and the new earth. And if we didn't have glorified bodies, we wouldn't be able to handle it. And yet God himself will be with his people and everything will be made new. And the greatest of times we've ever experienced in this world will just be the baseline normal of what's to come our way in that epoch of time. And so knowing that helps me to embrace the limits of humanity now, to be content when and where God has me and to know he's with me in every season of, the, of life. How do we deal with regrets that we may have or looking back and really wishing things were like they used to be? I think we, we uh, well, we all have regret and regret is, is the lament of perhaps time misspent. We wish we would have done that differently or we wish things were done differently to us. Maybe the regret's not something we did, but something that happened to us. And, and I think our, our tendency with regret is we, we go back in time, in our mind, to scenes of failure in our past. And, and Satan, the accuser, comes and he taunts us with our very real sins and with the sins that have been committed against us. And, and we have this sense of, I'm such, a, I'm such a failure. I'm such a, I feel embarrassed. I feel ashamed. And, and that's the way regret works. It's, it's the past breaking into the present through our memory uh, and through accusation. And 
the answer to where do we turn when regrets from the past break into the present is we need to go back in time further than the regret itself. What we're doing is we're going back. We regret we go back in time to scenes of failure, but we're not going back far enough. And the way we conquer our regrets is we go back further in time, past the regret, past the date of our birth, past the centuries of the last couple of thousand years until that regret collides with the cross. Mm. And it's at the cross that yeah. Jesus silences the accuser. And it's at the cross that Jesus takes our condemnation. And so we need to take our regrets further back in time to the definite reality of how Jesus took our sins, took our failures, and took our shame upon himself on the cross uh, that he might give us his righteousness and clothe us with forgiveness and freedom. So by all means, let's let's remember well and let's learn from where we've messed up and where we've we've done wrong. But when that tries to break into the present and paralyze the present, we go back to the cross, back in time to that definite reality. Well, we're coming to the end of our, our time together. How would you close us out by saying, uh, by sharing with us, how should Christians prioritize the rest of their lives? I think we should see life as seasons and cycles. And when we see life as seasons, that there is going to be the micro seasons that change in my life through the year. There's going to be the macro seasons that change in life in my body. You know, so, so I like to see that if we have 80 years, roughly, your, your first 20 years is kind of like spring. It's the new beginnings. It's, it's, it's incredible. And, and then 20 through 40 is kind of like the summer. We've got our peak energy and we've got, we're kind of now in the vocations and careers and things and having families. And, and then, and then the, the next 20 years, 40 to 60 is like autumn and, and the colors are changing literally in our, in our hair. And, uh, and that's where we are. And, and it's, it's changing. And there's, there's this sense of, 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 of beginning to decline. And then winter, the 60 till whenever God has us, uh, brings us home to glory. There's a sense there where, okay, like now I'm seeing and feeling in my body the real depths of that physiological decline. But to remember that God inhabits every one of those, that none of them are better than the other, that in each of them, there is uniqueness that can never be relived again. And so whatever season we're in in our life, we can give thanks for the former seasons and we can have anticipation in our hearts because however much time we have left in this world, glory is coming. Yes. Time unlimited is coming. Yes. This is not the end. Death is a punctuation within the story of our lives. We are moving towards a future in Christ that is unpunctuated by death forever. And that's what gives us the ability to keep going and to be faithfully attentive to what God is doing in us and around us, regardless of what season of life we're in. And so I'd want to encourage Christians, whatever season you are in right now, whether you love it, if you love it, give thanks to God. That's a gift from him. If you hate it, look to God and remember he is with you. He is in that season. And at whatever in between we, we are, to remember that the faithful God is present to us. And remembering that is how we live faithfully present to him. 
You've been listening to His People on Pilgrim Radio. Many thanks to our guest, Australian pastor Adam Ramsey, author of Faithfully Present. Coming up on tomorrow's program, it's Anna Danforth on the challenges and blessings of raising a family overseas. When we first moved to Lesotho, even though we'd grown up in Africa, we'd heard a lot of horror stories about security risks of living in Lesotho. And um, one of the first nights that we were there, we heard some noises outside of our windows. And we didn't have burglar bars on our house yet like a lot of other families did. This was a scary situation for us because we didn't know if this was going to be a home invasion situation or if it was just a goat running around outside or what. That's tomorrow at the same time right here on His People. Thanks for listening.